After 49 years, Reindeer Manor is celebrating their final season in Red Oak, Texas. That's coming up on today's show. From HAN, I'm Philip, and this is day 56 of our 61 Day Hauntathon, where we're counting down to Halloween by visiting a different haunted house every day here on the show. Today is Wednesday, October 26th, and there are five days until Halloween. Remember that the best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up for our free weekly industry newsletter at the link in our show notes. Now in its 49th season, Reindeer Manor is preparing to move to a new location after this season. Today, we'll speak with co-owner Alice Lohman to learn about this year's show, the reasons for the move, and their approach to staffing. Here's Alex. My name is Alex Lohman. I am the owner and creative director for Reindeer Manor Halloween Park down in Red Oak, Texas. Reindeer Manor is one of the oldest haunted houses in the country. 2022 is going to be our 49th season. We started back in October of 1974. The original buildings are still there that we haunt out of. The property was acquired from the state in 1867, changed hands a few times. The Cole family owned it. That's when Bonnie and Clyde were there. And God, the Sharp family owned it for quite some time. And I guess it was about 1929, Matt Sharp killed his wife in the house and then hung himself in the barn where the morgue is now. Then it just turned into a random farm that was being leased out to sharecroppers until the early 70s. And then the haunters showed up and turned it into a haunted house. And it's just been a thing ever since. It started out very humble, of course. It was just one building, a dollar or two to get in. And they put a few hundred people through there and that was it. And it's just grown over the years. I moved my haunt out there in 05. I added my second haunt out there in addition to Reindeer in 2008. And then my wife and I bought the place out in 2014. And we've been running it together ever since. The original house built in 1920 is where Reindeer Manor is, and it's still there. And then the... Dungeon of Doom and the bunker are both the more modern buildings, but the 13th Street Morgue on the opposite end of the property is in one of the old brick barns out there. We've got a big midway in the center. We have stage shows every 15 minutes. We have a different show of some kind, magic shows and thriller dancers and photo ops and roaming characters and all of that. But it's a full night's worth of entertainment when people come out. Let's walk through each of the attractions one by one. Bunker is our smallest show. It's a post-apocalyptic kind of a theme. Okay. Dungeon of Doom is a little unusual. It is a blacklight 3D show, but it's all video game themed. So the first room starts out with 3D pinball. You actually pass a real moving, working rock fire explosion from the famous pizza place. And you basically end up with Super Nintendo at the end of the 1980s. It starts in the early 80s and works its way up to the late 80s. The 13th Street Morgue is a mortuary-themed haunted house. It's two-story. It's our biggest attraction of all of them, probably our best details. And that theme doesn't change a whole lot. We like our funerary theme over there. And then Reindeer Manor is our crown jewel, and the theme there changes every year. This year is what we're calling Ghosts. Why did you decide to focus in on that this year? Honestly, this is the first time that we're saying this publicly. This is our last year at this location. We're going to be moving after this season is over. So for your 50th year, you're going to move? We're going to move to a new location. We're fitting up 50. Yeah, the the reality is the area that we are in used to be the middle of nowhere. And now we are completely surrounded by industry, new roads, and the taxes and the requirements to stay open have exceeded what we can safely do anymore. 
And we've been staving this off now. Honestly, it's 2022 now. We honestly felt if we made it to 2010, we had beat the gavel and we managed to get well past 2010 and get all the way up to the end of our 49th year there. It's been a years long problem that we've seen coming, but it did finally get to the point where it's it was either dig our heels in and yeah. go bankrupt and we lose everything. Yeah. Or we preserve five decades worth of everybody's love and effort and we pick things up and we move them all along. But so honestly, the reason why I picked Ghost this year, as time has gone by, my role as owner, operator, show designer has changed and I've gotten to be so much more involved in the running of the park and the art direction is generally handled by other people now. I've got people that I trust very much. They know what I want. They know what my customers expect and they're really good about working within that because this is the last year here. Yeah. We're going with the theme that I wanted because I, I want to see it. And I wanted ghosts. Okay. When I first got into haunting, to me, ghosts were always the scariest because if there's a monster that comes after you, there's normally some way to defeat it of yeah. some kind. There's a spell or a physical thing you can yeah. do. You can shoot yeah. a werewolf with silver, but if a ghost is after you, you got nothing. You are absolutely helpless. And I've always was just kind of fascinated by that aspect of it. So that's what we're gonna do for our final season, where we're at. And by the way, you're hearing this here first. We're just now to the point where we're far enough along in the process to make the announcement that yeah, this yeah. is going to be our last year at the current spot. Is and as much as we're gonna miss it, we're still excited that yeah. we get to keep doing it even beyond this. That's um, actually one of my, you answered one of my follow-up, one of my follow-up questions is going to be about the challenges of being in the space for so long with buildings like that. Oh my God. Because I've done. Well, and yeah. you forget how much stuff you even have and yep. man, it's yep. up so quick. And we're, Building we're about half codes, outdoors, half yeah. indoors, and we're yeah. going to be moving all yeah. indoors. So our, much better. our yeah. format is going to be changing and our, our approach and kind of the way we have to even think about all of it yes. changes. And it also opens up different opportunities for us. Like we can build something in February and when we get there in September, it's still there. It's still we had to pick what was going to be the best for the long term on this. Because in addition to owning the show, it's obviously more than just me. I'm nothing without my staff and my crew. And I've yeah. got actors who've been there for my oldest tenured actor who's worked for me directly. I think this is going to be her 25th season with us. It's, we owe a lot to them. They kept the wheels on the bus and it's important to us to, to make sure that we still have this bus so they can yeah. still keep the wheels on yeah. it. This has obviously been something you've been working on for quite a long time. I'm sure you've been thinking about your dream setup. What trends are you seeing now that the new location will allow you to meet? One thing that we have noticed just in general across the board is that 20 years ago, if it was cold and rainy, it didn't matter. Customers came anyway. They didn't care. They wanted to bundle up and come out there and run around in the mud and the slime. Yeah. And customers aren't like that anymore. Customers, they want things faster and quicker and sleeker. And they don't want to be at the haunted house all night. They want it to be something they do in conjunction with the rest of their night. So one of the things that we're going to be able to do is we're going to be putting ourselves in a downtown area. So they will be able to come visit us and then 
go to plays or concerts okay. or dinner or okay. different events. So we can become a big part of the landscape of the area we're in more so than necessarily being their destination. Our yeah. VIP lines and everything, we can make a lot slicker. The big thing that we're doing as far as the overall way we're approaching this is we've always approached it with safety, access, and ease of getting in and out of the building yeah. first. Fire alarms and sprinkler systems and all of that are going to be installed and set up first. And then we're about the customer flow on top of that. And then we'll start designing around the rest of that. But yeah, so like um, the ideal situation, yeah. <laughs> like after you've been doing it for a while, like the way that you think of things, it's different. Yeah, because generally hunters start the opposite by right. necessity. They think about and then you the, build on, yeah. And of course, when we built these shows, there was no such thing as fire alarms yeah, yeah. and all these things were added yeah. later. So now we're approach those first. But so it allows you to really go and examine your right. ideal infrastructure and plan for the infrastructure. Because really, infrastructure really trumps foundation. design. Correct. We've yeah. even gotten to the point now where well, we divide impact your throughput our well. shows up into chunks and each of those chunks just has a zone and we'll go zone one, zone two, yeah. because the theming and everything will change over time. But the infrastructure is almost fine. It just kind of sees forever. And the design part of it's really pretty easy. It's making the most use of our square footage that we possibly can. And yeah. of course, when we try to design rooms for partially because of the ease of being able to get from one place to another. We've always approached that there's there's four cardinal ways to approach a customer. There's one good way to exit a customer. And we try to make sure there's enough actor access to do those things because it gives the customers a better show, the experience is slightly different every time. And then our actors can work in little clusters of people too. So if we have a new actor and they're kind of timid, you give them a two veterans and then all of a sudden these two veterans have got this person just up and just yeah. kicking ass and taking names and going. And we're gonna definitely take all of those things and approach it like that and try to make it as slick for both the customers as we can, but also as efficient and easy for our staff. Because while our staff is, they're paid and it is a job, it's, it still needs to be fun. Yeah. I want them to, I don't ever want my staff to feel like this is just work. I want them to feel like they're part of a family and that they're enjoying what they're doing and that they're making a difference. And yeah, I feel like not just haunts, but entertainment in general is, we always view it as like a reward for working and things like that. And rest and relaxation and getting away from stressful things is critical to good mental health. And I like providing the things that people do in between their responsibilities and their obligations. Yeah. I really like being their escape and their break from what they're doing. And I think my staff likes that too. They like being part of that. Talk to, while you're mentioning staffing, talk to me about the staffing this year. That's a big hot button topic, obviously, is staffing for all, everybody, and oh. including entertainment sectors. Yeah, staffing has been, man, that, that's been a tough one. Yeah. And we, knock on wood, seem to have been affected less than most other attractions were. Each year, we have, right now, we run a staff of about 110. Any given year, maybe 20 of those people will be new. 
we maintain a little over 80% retention, like 82, 83% retention. So you think that's helping you right now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you think that's and when we're doing room assignments too, you know, when you've got people who've been doing this for so long, again, yeah. you can give them some newbies and help yeah. and get them up to speed and get a little bit of confidence built. And we've learned over the years, our audition process, and I learned this from John LaFlambeau, his audition process, he said they didn't do anything scary. They put people up there in a group and they would say, do something crazy, something hokey. One of ours is uh, act like you're a candle being blown up by the wind. Yeah. Or you're the wacky waving arm yeah. guy at the car lot, yeah. whatever it is. If they're willing to just be foolish for the sake of being foolish, we're golden. Yeah. It's just not an issue. After that, learning to scare is easy. You just gotta get them broken loose just a little bit. It doesn't take much. But honestly, if they have a pulse and a ounce of enthusiasm, we'll normally give them a shot. And honestly, the ones that come in and seem all gung-ho and a lot of times they're the ones that'll wash out. I can't tell you how many theater majors I've had wash out halfway through dress rehearsal yep. <laughs> all yep. the time. But then there's some quiet kid that, yep. you know, doesn't do a whole lot that all of a sudden becomes super badass with a little bit of guidance. And a lot of that is just from having that experience and making it as fun for the staff as you possibly can. Within reason, there's those nights where you get busy and sometimes it's just drudgery and we just deal with it as best we can. You mentioned that you let your team do a lot of the work now because right. you're moving up. So essentially you're delegating. Yes, much more. And that can be a journey in and of itself to go from, like you said, you started it in 2014, right? You were yes. doing everything and now suddenly you're trusting your team to do, that's a big journey. You have to grow as a person. Yes, yeah, tell me about that. Tell and me why that's important to delegate. Letting go is tough. Yeah. It's real tough, especially when it's your baby. I mean, because yes. my wife and I sold our house to open our first show yep. and we lost everything. And then we started over again the next year and we just cashed our paychecks and didn't pay our bills to get open because that's how bad we wanted it. So that's our level of intensity for this. It literally, when people talk about opening a haunted attraction, I'm like, you can talk about passion all you want. People use that word passion loosely. If you are not willing to die for it, there is no passion there. And I'm sorry, I absolutely feel that way. If you were not willing to die for this, you were not passionate. Stop using that word, hobbyist. Anyhow, so letting go. I heard a quote, and it was something along the lines of, if you're going to conduct the greatest orchestra in the world, you have to be the one to turn your back on the audience. And they don't see your face. And try to say this without crying like a crazy person, but that's, there's little things. Like I remember one time walking by one of my shows and I heard them hollering codes to each other, little counts, and they were doing these little routines. And when you can give them a little bit of training and get them in position, and then they elevate it to another level on their own, that's when you're really doing this. But I had to decide. The show is either going to be about me and be as big as I am, or it's gonna be about itself and be bigger than me. So what's more important? Because a lot of people decide that they're the most important thing and they don't want the show to survive without them. Yeah. My show needs to survive without me. If I get killed tomorrow in some kind of freak Sharknado accident, 
I need to make sure that everyone has the infrastructure to keep doing what they're doing because my show isn't me. Because at the end of the day, and I think people lose sight of this, we don't own the industry. We don't own the holiday. We don't own Halloween. We don't own fear. We don't own scaring. We are simply stewards of it. And only for a short chunk of time, yeah. we are riding the coattails of the people who did this before us. And we are setting the stage for those who are going to do this after us. And that's all that there is. So really, it's our obligation. If you can either be remembered because you did something, I want to be remembered because I took the bar that was already high and I set it higher than I got it. And then I passed it on to the next person like that. And I feel like that's how your work lives forever. When you help elevate and escalate, that's when you're really on to something. Because if you're going to try to nickel and dime your way through everything, you're never going to get ahead. And the trick is you got to find people around you that you can trust. I see a lot of people who will hire somebody and immediately give them a bunch of control. And I don't do that. Most of my full-time employees, they're normally hanging around just helping out for a year or even two before there's any talk about off-season work or any yeah. pay or anything like that. Because I need to know 100% that they are as invested into my vision and my work and my dream as I am. But when they are, number one, it's too much for one person to try to do on their own. But number two, while I have a very clear idea of what I want and what I expect to see, the, as far as how we get there, my ideas may not always be the best. And if my crew comes up with a better idea than me, I always have the option to step in and be like, hey, you got to this and to this. I'd really like to see them like this instead. And here's why. Yeah. But for the most part, they normally come up with ideas in their head. They know what my filters are. Yep. There's three basic filters for design. You've got your budget, your calendar, and your workforce. And if you have a good idea and it'll pass through all three of those and it's still a good idea, then you're doing all right. Yep. And they know that's how I want to do things. So when they put together ideas on their own, they'll normally approach me toward the end when they've got it fleshed out. And they're like, here's what we want to do, and here's why. And 99% of the time, I'm like, great, go with it. Because sometimes their methodology is even slicker than mine is. Sometimes I'll do a bad habit of I'll build something the way I would have built it 20 years ago. They're younger than me. They build stuff different now. They think about things differently. And I like that. Because at the end of the day, I really just need, I just need results. I, yeah. I need my customers to feel like they got more out of the show than they paid for and that it was a good value for them. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. We're counting down to Halloween with daily podcasts, videos, and events in our 61-day Hauntathon. Follow along at the link in our show notes. Our Hauntathon is made possible through generous support from Gantam Lighting and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. See what you're missing with a free demo Sign up at gantum.com slash demo. That's gantum.com slash demo. Our Hauntathon team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Our partners for this year's Hauntathon include Sharp Productions, Horrorbuzz.com, ScareTrack, TheScareFactor.com, and Hauntopic Radio. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up for our weekly newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. We'll catch you back here tomorrow and every day until Halloween.
This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.